Many Amazon sellers think business growth is the same as sales growth. But if you're smarter, you know e-commerce businesses are sold as a multiple of profits, not of sales. So if you want to build a sellable business, you need to grow profits. And to grow profits, you need to cut waste and increase profitable sales. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. Go to AmazonProfitQuiz.com. That's AmazonProfitQuiz.com to get your free instant diagnosis. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to JabberFBA.com slash 380. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast, the place to be to go from mid six to mid seven figures on Amazon. We're talking today with Marvin Harris, who's a very good strategic thinker, but also is a bit of an expert with his software behind him on inventory. And that is really what we're going to talk about today. But it's not so much just using inventory, just managing it as a problem, but how to use inventory to make decisions. So welcome back to the show. First of all, Marvin, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Pleasure. And so t tell me about this, first of all. I, I always think of inventory as when it is a problem to solve or it's just a bunch of numbers that we don't even do anything with if we're unlucky. But you're, we're talking about being a bit more active with using that those numbers. So, you know, what, what's that even all about? How come inventory helps with decisions in the first place? Well, I like to talk about inventory with the old way and the new way. The old way is what you just stated, which falls into the category of what I call systems of record. Hey, we just, we're going to just record this information and do whatever. The new way is from something I came up with, which is called, you need to look at inventory as a, as a means of engagement, customer engagement, or what I call systems of engagement. So you can make decisions faster and you don't, put yourself in a, in a weak position because all your cash flow is really tied up in the inventory. And it's the root of the problem all centers around reconciliation. Okay. But, and we try to, so what I tell people to do is we, and we need to use reconciliation to find insight on how we can serve customers better and how we, it will tell us if we're managing our cash flow properly and what people want from us. Okay, so you can tell all that from the inventory. You can tell what yes. people want. Okay. Yeah, because, but people don't look at it in the right way. What they do is they, like, if I put my, let's say my stuff's reconciled and, and things are out of balance, I don't really have a system of record. You need a place where you aggregate the data from all the places you sell and all the places you have inventory to see and really look at it from what I call a sentiment point of view, a ledger. And this ledger is your algorithm. Like most people use Excel to do this, right? But I don't think it's the most effective way. But what I would recommend people do is look at, use those same strategies as you would and treat it as analytic data because it's, and the one factor you need to look at is economic indicators. I love Twitter because uh, I just, you know, you can find out mentions about a product in by geography. So, for example, if there's a spike in in cupcake in, in the cupcake ingredients in this specific geography, 
I want to know that because now that I've I've just figured out that there's increased demand for that product, right? In this specific place. And I can target around that and I can buy around that because people make inventory decisions on what happened yesterday, but consumers are making decisions about the future. And so you have to adapt your inventory about what customers are expecting, not what they did in the past, because their buying behavior adapts as the as market conditions change. Right. And so what you have to use inventory for is to figure that out. And okay. pe- right. Makes sense. I think it does. Yeah. So in other words, if you're looking at the data that you're getting, I mean, so, so a few things reflect. I mean, really, you're reading you're making uh, extrapolating shall we say a lot more from the, the the raw data that you're taking out consumer insights really i guess is yes. what you're saying and yeah well it, it's, it's it's consumer yeah. insights partly but it's also this management for example here in america since after the pandemic people bought every retailer i've been to has scaled down what they sell they stopped selling certain things because they were not they had too much of certain things that people the 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 I, the one measure I always tell people to look at is their accounts receivable aging. That right? If you if that one metric on inventory will tell you, if you looked at the days outstanding against what you sell, it's going to tell you you have a either that's a, a product that's in demand or not without with anything else. But how many? I've never met one retailer I've worked with that knew that information. If I asked them. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty obscure. It's buried in in the account somewhere, isn't it? I'm sure it's there. The account holder have done it. That that gets to the behavior. If you track that one metric by products and SKUs, you would know what people are demanding. And if things are changing, you can predict. You can do forecasting on that change, and against economic indicators. Oh well, you know, interest rates are going up. What does that mean for my business? Because the two things inventory can teach you is pricing variability and how you need to adapt pricing and what you need to drop, what consumer, what consumers really care about from you. Like expiration dates is a perfect example. I can track expiration dates against what I just told you. And I know how your store is doing. If you have expiring products, right? Because a date, the dates are everything in inventory. How, when you, when it arrived and when it had, when it was sold and, and when, how much time I have to sell it. Right. And so if you just measure that dates against your inventory, you can get a lot of insight about what you need to do and what you shouldn't do. Things you should stop selling because it's not worth it. If you really look at the data and it only takes three data points. It just time. It's just a time data point, and then the cost against that time. Like the longer I keep this, how much is it? It's not worth what I'm doing. Or I made these decisions, and interest rates went up three percent. Oh, and by the way, I just noticed my margins went down twenty percent on this product, but I did not raise my prices. So tell me about those. What what are the three data points we're looking for particularly? Aging. You need to date. From the date received to the date bought, right? And that's irregardless if you have a product that has expiration or not. The second thing, the aging, and you need to break that down by product 
and then variants. Because for example, if you have, if you sell t-shirts in 20 different cut, like I met a guy, I was advising him. He had or made all these t-shirts for all these, because he, he, he sold football or soccer jerseys from all these obscure countries in, in all these places. But I said, well, why, why did you make this shirt for that small country in Africa? Did you know, was there demand for that? He said, no, I just liked it. So I thought other people would. Don't right. do so yeah. don't. <laughs> Based on personal preference with no data. And he had all this inventory. He couldn't move. Yeah. But he if he had analyzed the information, like, okay, well, I'm not going to, this. there's not enough demand for this, or I have to charge a premium for this customer to make it worth my while. He wouldn't have been stuck with all that inventory. He couldn't move. And that's how you have to treat it. So the three things is dates, market sizing, and the aging. And you have to track the aging because the date is the is when the clock is. So for what you sell, how fast do you need to move product? You should have a baseline what that is. Well, from the time I buy this X, it needs, I want it to, to go in 14 days or 10 days or whatever it is for you. And you should be tracking against that, the products. And if things aren't doing that, then you can find out why. Then you can get to make a decision as to what's driving that and how you need to adapt your buying, your purchasing strategies around it. Because what <clears throat> if you don't do that, you end up having to do markdown strategies. And so the dates feed into the markdown strategy because you don't know. And what so you end up discounting something 25%. Or whatever. And if you track in those dates, you'll know when you should trigger those things. You can even automate them. Yeah. And that's um something that I hear a lot of even in in amongst shall we say the bigger sellers. So the people certainly in the mid six figure sellers mm -hmm. still end up buying way too much inventory of something that they've then got a ton of and they're trying to work out how to make people buy it at a certain price point as opposed to accepting reality which is that they're not aligned they haven't aligned their purchasing the amount of stock they've got with the demand how quickly they can sell it so yeah that's that's a classic one and you're right that if you if you yeah if you look at the stock i like this way of looking at it it's looking at the stock as a way of telling you what the consumers want i really like that a lot that the one thing i would say that by the way if you sell purely on amazon or mostly mm -hmm. that's not going to be such a helpful metric as the accounts receivable aging because of course the receivables will come from amazon and they pay you every 14 days mostly unless you've got a particular well, way of doing it that is true but what you can do is think of it you you'll have to look at it in net terms you won't be able to get into details which is okay but you let's say i bought twenty thousand dollars worth of product in on <clears throat> october 1st how much have i in 14 days of that item i want to have sold a certain percent of what i bought by that time so you can do you just have to take it a level higher if you don't have the data right because nobody has time to go to that l low level detail. Mm. You just want add enough data so you can make better decisions. So what, what is that for you? And if Amazon is not giving you the data you need, you just have to go higher because you can do net, net, net cash flow against net out, out, net out cash flow and net in for that product. You can do that. Okay. So I confess that net out and net in forecast is not a, a term I've come across before. So obviously yeah, it's the sort of thing that people need to engage with your site, possibly <laughs> go and check out what you guys do 
and uh, educate themselves a little bit about them. Um, it, it's all reconciliation, but so reconciliation. I would just say when, when it got to the FBA warehouse against and how long it's sitting there, right? How long yeah. is it sitting there? Yeah. Rel relative to what you had before you added new inventory for that item. Cause they're not going to be, they're not, Amazon's not doing first in first out, you know, you have no way to track that. So you have to look at it in an aggregate form and just what's the totality of what I have against when I need to replenish. Right. And yeah. we all know you want to have what, like they always say 30 days, but I would actually squeeze that down now because there's so much excess inventory out there now. I don't think you can, you can get liquidation values like Target and Nike have what 65% too much inventory. These big companies can be a, if you don't know the information, you can look at these big companies forecasts and they're in the industry or sector you're in and they are telling you what's going to happen by their inventory volumes. And you can compare that against what was happening with you to get insight on, hey, I'm doing better. Or I'm not doing so good. I need to figure something out. Okay, so can you give us a concrete example? So I presumed if you're talking about Nike, maybe I'm selling uh, sports tops I'm, on I'm, Amazon or something like that. How, how I'm, do I... I'm selling sneaker apparel. I'm selling okay. sneakers, right? Great. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to jabberfba.com slash 380. Nike has identified these type of sneakers are not. We have too much inventory and we have to write it down. Okay. What I let you know, there's too much capat. There's low demand and not enough supply for that item. If I'm selling the same type of product, that should that is an indicator that people are not buying that type of sneaker anymore. How do I need to adapt my strategy around that? If I already have bought it, and what so I don't buy too much of it next go around? Because what are they buying? Right. And then that's, you have to look at it that way. It's an indicator. It doesn't mean it always applies to you, but if Nike with all that marketing brand recognition, if they can't move the product, what thinks, what do you think? Why are you going to move it? You have to have a reason. Is your yeah. audience better? Yeah. Better than Nike. Yeah. That would be going, going somewhere. So I guess to summarize what you're saying is look at what the industry leaders are doing in a particular product category. Yes. And if they're struggling with certain things or they have, too much inventory, that's more public knowledge than your Amazon rivals. And therefore, you can use that as an indicator of the, the supply and demand balance in your market as a whole. Is that about you, right? And you should look at your own data too. But yeah, yeah, I would definitely do that. And Nike's selling on Amazon too. Even the big retailers, they drive a lot of their traffic. They don't like doing, they don't want to do that. But that's just, if 50% of all retail is happening on Amazon, it's an indicator. And a, a cheap, another cheap way to look at your pricing is I tell people, go to Google Shopping, type up the product, and it aggregates all the data, every place it's sold and how much it's being sold for. So why can't you do that? One of the things that people do to the previous episode, we talked about trying to get that be the category king. So in other words, mm -hmm. really understanding your consumer to the point where you, you really tap into, you know, you, you win a huge amount of market share. And I guess that goes together with the delusion that people get, which is that I can sell my product for a higher price because I'm special in their own minds, as opposed to having a concrete evidence for somebody else who has their wallet in their hand thinks it's special, right? So it, it comes together with that lack of reality check. And that's, but I find it fascinating that 
you you can use inventory in such a, a way as to read the market. That's that's quite fascinating. And and certainly talking about non-obvious insights, which is another word that, mm-hmm. that come from the last episode. That is a non-obvious insight because most people I know, as you say, they don't they don't know many of their numbers around inventory. At least most people don't. The sharpest sellers I know do, the most successful ones. But most people are really hazy about how to even make sense of the numbers. So I like this a lot. So let's just pivot slightly into, mm-hmm. we mentioned the recession or downturn. We're talking about inventory. How do we put those two together? To, how do we use inventory numbers to help us proof our business against recession and to make sure we come out of it intact? I always tell... I always tell people to go to where they're, what's happening with their best customers. It, everything comes back to understanding your customer. And so if you don't, you need to start. And what's happening with them and how, and the things that are happening with that customer, what's happening that might change their buying behavior with you. So if you, the same process we talked about in the last episode, which is look at your or average orders, over the last six to 12 months, I want you to take all of that COVID excess data out of your equation because now we're back into new things, right? And I want you to analyze those customers from there and who are your best customers. And then I want you to go through the process of understanding what they, the demand, what the future is holding for them. And that's going to give you insight on what you need to be doing from your marketing, because a lot of our marketing dollars are wasted just because we don't understand the customer. The, The easiest thing to do, and you have to take your product out of it. You gotta focus on the desired outcome. I always tell people, sell offers, don't sell the product or service. So if you're selling, like my mom, she just, she's visiting me and she just told me, she just ordered a service provider on Amazon to do some work in our house, right? Like you had talked about, a lot of people don't leverage that. And one of the reasons, but she said it was the best experience she had with a, with a home, a home person in quite a while, right? She didn't mention the service. She talked about his, his quality of how he delivered it. And when people buy on Amazon, that's part, that's what they're buying. So you have to understand that for that best customer, and then you can come up with a strategy to try to expand the number of people that fit into that. What people try to do is be all things to everybody. And what you have to do is find out who the right body is so you can grow and scale around that. Because it it makes your inventory more efficient and the marketing associated with driving the the sale of that inventory more efficient. Because you're going to strip out a lot of products that you are probably buying for these randoms that don't make sense for you to sell. Yeah, like it a lot. And I think you've got an interesting way of looking at the world, Marvin, somehow. I, I think that um, there's a lot of people that I get on the show who are very precise and good with numbers and their accountants or sometimes inventory kind of people. And then you get the other people who get very excited by marketing and customer avatar. I think mm. what's unique about your approach is that you kind of combine the two in, in a very, you make it sound simple. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of work that needs to be done to make it work in life, but I do love the, the basic philosophy. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I try to keep it simple. What I, what I do with people is like I said, I, I'll do it for people. And I, I, I like to see myself as a teacher. So anybody, everybody I work with, I'm big on 
ha- doing things that people have done for me and to help me think different. I, I had met somebody a couple, a month or so ago, and he said, you're not a linear thinker. So my mission is to make more people nonlinear thinkers because that's when you can do these. It requires that. But somebody over the years, people have worked with me to help me be a, become a nonlinear thinker. And so I can see patterns. I feel like that's, that helps you see the patterns that people miss. But yeah. you, you have, somebody has to pull you out of that linear way because that's how we're taught in school. Yeah. And also how people are taught to set up businesses uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that they're, they're taught, you know, the classic Amazon course and I've created them myself and I follow them myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you got, a, you know, I might, I created like a 20 module course, which is ridiculously far too much, wow. much to absorb. I put everything in that I knew, which is a big mistake. But anyway, so it's like module one, module two, module three, module four. And the truth is that, that there's sort of, uh, what's the word interactions and, and iterations that happen between, for example, deciding which market you're going to go to. And then when you go and try and source it, you discover that actually, you know, you can't source it at that price. So you have to go and look at sending to a different market. Or when you go to your supplier, you find something that you'd never thought of, which you could sell to the same market. And so in other words, real life is messier and you have to have a way of thinking that, that allows for that and, and gets a, a, an edge over the pure linear thinkers. And I think that's, that's what I'm getting from you. So. Really yeah, like I it. Do. I like it a and lot. I've learned from all my failures in my personal life and <laughs> in my work life. So I call it just experience learning and being super flexible. Because everybody I've ever worked with, the one common theme I see, whether they're solopreneurs or they have partners, they are too me focused as in them and their product or service. And they, and people, and Honestly, we buy based on none of those things. You have to be about the customer because it's so easy to start a business now. Like to be an Amazon seller is just a couple clicks. So now you have to be the what's going to separate you is these things because most people are too lazy to do the things that we talked about. So if you can't do them, I advise people to get support to do it. Not whether it's, it doesn't have to be me, whoever. It could be a free resource or whatever, because those couple little things could be the difference for me being very successful and being out of business. I'm into that. Yeah, I agree completely with that. So just remind us, Marvin, what what services you offer people if they want to get some help? As you said, sometimes it's impossible to do this stuff on your own, or at least it's harder than it needs to. Well, like I said, I, I, I like to help people. I help people try to find their category, figure out who their customer is, and then build a strategy around what we learn. And I... And that's like from an advisory standpoint, or I find a lot of entrepreneurs just need to talk to somebody to go through these concepts with. So I, I'm, I'm a, I, you know, I coach or advise people around that. And then the second thing is I build technology products to try to deliver some of this value. So I have an inventory product, an algorithm, I call it, that does some of this stuff that I've just mentioned. And I'm always looking for what I call co-innovation partners, because what I have today is not necessarily what people need tomorrow. So I'm always looking for people who have interesting problems to solve. And I like to use that to create interesting solutions to those problems. So I'm big on doing done for you services, because if not, people just don't do do it. So that's what I do. Yeah. By the way, that's that's one of the best reasons for hiring somebody because it gets done. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, advice is one of these things. That's the, the problem with a, a podcast. I mean, we, we're bringing you on. You're an expert. You're advising people. You're giving great general principles. But because people listen to it, think it's great, 
I think it's great. I'm sure a lot of people listening will agree. And then they'll go away and do nothing because they're overwhelmed. They haven't got time. So uh, all I would say is if you want to hit up Marvin to explore whether that might be something worth working on or, or just to learn more, you know, you've got a load of very helpful information about how to deal with your product inventory, then go to ovals.io. That's O-V-A-L-Z.io or Z, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on. Great stuff. Listen, this is, is really good. There's quite a lot to think about here. I like your, your thinking is quite subtle. So I, I would say to anyone listening, Go and re-listen to this episode and, and you'll discover new things on the second and the third listing because this is the sort of episode where it's not obvious. It's not like, <laughs> do this, then do that, then do that, and you get the magic result. It's like oh, thinking yeah. differently. And that takes a bit of, bit of mental work, but I think it's really worth it. Really like it. You're taking a small numbers of amount of data and you're extrapolating a large, large amount of insight. And for me, that's that's super smart. So I like it very much. Marvin, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have done? I don't think anything asked you. I just want to give credit to somebody that helps me be a better thinker, which is Chris Lockhead. And he is somebody I track and follow. So I highly recommend you people following him. He has a podcast and he's really active on LinkedIn and Twitter. And he's the one that wrote an infographic about non-obvious thinking, which got me to realize it's a power, it's a power source. Because what you, if you're an Amazon seller or an e-commerce person, your biggest asset is your intellectual capital. And to me, that's what you're in the business of creating more intellectual capital that gets distributed through the products or service you offer through Amazon. And that's what I would leave with. So, yeah. Great. Is that, and Chris Lockhead, is that L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D? Is that how you spell it? L-O-C-K-H-E-A-D. He has okay. a podcast called Follow You Different. Right. And he, he has a newsletter. It's called Category Pirates. And they, they talk a lot about these concepts. And, and I've become, I've read many of their books. And it's definitely influenced me to where I am today. And so if you don't have a mentor to help you, I'd advise you to get a digital creator to become the mentor. So, Amazing. Yeah. Chris Lockhead, follow you different. Sounds really cool. I'll certainly be checking that out. Well, Marvin, it's been really cool to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and look forward to hearing from the listeners who've implemented this stuff. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Have a great day. Yeah. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to jabberfba.com slash 380. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.